love to hear you guys sing. I wish you could all have the experience sometimes that we get up here when, because you hear kind of what's happening up here, but we hear what's happening out there, and it is such a beautiful sound. It's amazing. Um, I did want to mention, we might have some guests here today that uh, haven't been here before. Uh, it was an all-male worship team this morning, but that was not planned. Uh, <laughs> uh, both of the ladies that were scheduled and on the schedule and, and we're going to sing with us this morning are sick and uh, couldn't be here today to sing with us. And, uh, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was different for us. It's not th something we typically do, but it was kind of fun. But it also reminds me, uh, because I've spoken to some of you and you know uh, we've been dealing with it at our house, that, uh, man, the, the sickness is just going around, right? It's, it's clobbering people all over the place. So uh, Myrna and Maria not being able to be here with us this morning uh, to do what they love to do and join us in leading worship uh, reminds us to pray for those uh, people who are sick, for them, for people that you know, and to lift them up. Uh, and, uh, and it also reminds us to wash our hands <laughs> a lot. Uh, I've, I've seriously considered, you know, I've, I've reading some of the news, you know, worst flu outbreak since 2009. And, uh, you know, down in uh, the states, there are places where they're, like, they're closing schools to keep from sp spreading the flu more widely in their community. And uh, I've seriously considered becoming one of those people that wears one of those mask things all the time, you know, because um, I don't want the flu uh, in Jesus' name. I don't want the flu in Jesus' name, and I don't want you to have it either. So I hope that you uh, are doing everything you can to stay well. If you've struggled with it, I hope that you're... Uh, you're getting better, and if you uh, join us via podcast or the video cast this week, uh, we're certainly praying for you and lifting you up and remembering you, all right? So we're uh, still in our series, um, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Uh, and the premise behind that is not that we want to just, uh, you know, if there's places in our lives where we're not okay, it's not that we just want to camp out there and go, oh, this is cool, it's okay to not be okay, so I'm just going to not be okay. What we really want to communicate to you is that God understands God understands when, when things aren't going well for you or when you're just maybe having a pity party. Anybody? Anybody? You identify with that? You have that once in a while? I, I can do that. Be mopey and woe is me, you know, kind of thing. That we don't want to live in those places and we don't want to be crushed by the things in our lives that are, that are maybe giving us distress or giving us um, anxiety like we talked about last week, uh, dealing with um, guilt or shame over not, you know, hitting the highest mark that we possibly can uh, sometimes. And as we talk about here in the next couple of weeks about uh, wrestling with uh, depression uh, and those kinds of things and, and the things that that brings to our lives and the lives of the people that we love. Um, next week, uh, we're going to hear from uh, my great friend Don Ashley, who's back from uh, Africa. There he is right over there. Uh, glad to have him back, and I know he's glad to be back. Um, although I am a little jealous, he told me the other day, we were talking online, he said, uh, mangoes are in season in Africa. What was it, four for 10 cents? Is that what you said? Yeah. Mmm, I love mangoes, yeah. And uh, you can't get any good ones here. That's just the fact of the matter. But it is great to have him back. He's going to talk to us next week about loneliness, something I think that uh, we all deal with, as this entire series is. These are things I think that we all deal with at some level. But I think Don's going to bring a unique perspective because, you know, he spent several months on sabbatical this last year, and there were a few occasions where he had some friends come and visit and family came to visit while he was uh, overseas. But he was in uh, some foreign countries and in some locations where there were long stretches of time where there was no one else who spoke English around him. 
Uh, and he was very much isolated, even though he's in this sea of people feeling very isolated. And I think that's a theme that uh, really runs through this idea of loneliness that he'll be talking about. And then the week after that, uh, Joe Greeson, uh, missionary uh, with uh, Send North here in Alaska, he and his wife Holly both uh, working in that missions organizations and doing missions work here in the state of Alaska and in Canada. Um, he'll be coming to speak with us about the topic of depression and touching on uh, the the kind of the epidemic of suicide particularly particularly that we face here in Alaska and it's not just a rural problem right it's a problem that we have in our cities it's a problem that our friends face things that they deal with uh, families that have struggled with that and people even in our own congregation who've wrestled with those things and so we're going to hear from Joe about that um, I want to remind you again that uh, this is a, I think a, a powerful series for you to invite your friends to explore Christ Community Church and who we are and what we're about. If you can't get them here on a Sunday, go online, find our, we've got a YouTube page where you can subscribe to the video cast uh, every week as long as the video stuff works like it's supposed to. And then uh, we've got our audio podcast as well. And you can get to all of those from our webpage. But that sometimes is an, is an, an easy way to put an invite out in there is, is to go back and say, maybe you have a friend that you know uh, is dealing with uh, some of these topics and say, hey, check this out. This is what uh, we're doing at our church, and we're trying to communicate to you some things that God has to say about these things, and maybe you'd be interested in that too. And uh, use it as a way to reach out and let your friends and, and people that you know that you care about them, share it on your social media, go to our uh, audio podcast page, go to the video cast page, share those on your social media and get people interested and to see if we can't get this word out to some more people and will help them. So with all that being said, that brings us to this morning where we're talking about uh, the topic of doubt and disappointment with God. Doubt and disappointment with God. I think those actually, in practice, um, get reversed for the most part. Um, a lot of times you and I will face things in our lives that we're, we're just disappointed about, right? Uh, it might be something that we're responsible for, it might be something that someone else is responsible for. It might just be the circumstances of life. I think about um, my buddy, uh, Marty, that I went to visit this last week. Super guy, uh, loves the Lord, uh, was, joined us here at church for several months, and then suddenly, just out of the blue, diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. Um, and it would be easy for Marty to, to look to the sky, basically, and say, what's going on here? But how does, how does this happen? You know, I'm, I'm following you, I'm doing everything that I think I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm, I'm telling people about you, and yet, boom, this lands on my life. Um, it might not be as serious as that for you. It might just be, you know, things that are a little more commonplace. Maybe you're not facing life and death, but maybe a job position that isn't working out, or an opportunity that you thought you were going to have that didn't arise, and, and you just find yourself disappointed. And we've all experienced that. And I think there are occasions where we can then become so uh, wrapped up kind of in that disappointment that it can lead to then a doubt about who God is and what he's doing in his place in our lives and how that works out. Um, disappointment's a strong thing, right? It's, both, it's, it's strong both to us internally, you know, if we feel disappointed. It's also something that we can project onto other people. Uh, there are uh, two young men that live at our house uh, my sons, and, uh, you know, spanking was definitely on the table 
in our house, and I don't mean like we put them on the table and spank them. I mean, it was an option, right? It was an option at our house, but there weren't a lot of them to go around. They might disagree with you, but I'm pretty sure there weren't a lot of them to go around. Um, and part of that was because uh, neither one of them particularly responded well to that kind of discipline. Um, but uh, Christopher, in particular, um, did not respond well to that sort of uh, discipline. But uh, what they both responded to much more readily was if you expressed that concern where something had happened or they had done something, they'd made a choice, and you said to them, whether you said it in those words, that you, you communicated that you were disappointed. That somehow that was, that was a letdown, either f letting themselves down or, as a parent, letting your expectations down. That would almost always get um, kind of the desired response of, of a, adjusted thinking and adjusted attitude and adjusted behavior as opposed to, uh, you know, giving, a, giving them a, a spanking or a little swat or something. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Uh, maybe people around you that you have sensed their disappointment with you. And what happens then is if we find ourselves in a circumstance where we do get significantly uh, disappointed in someone or someone gets significantly disappointed with us, it leads then to doubt. And the doubt is, I don't know if I can trust you. You know, I, I, had this, I had this set of beliefs that encompassed who I, who I believe you to be, the way that you've interacted with me, the way that you've treated me, the way that you've spoken to me, or the choices that you've made, and then you have now done something that, that kind of blows that up. And then there are varying levels of that doubt of like, how, do, how serious does that doubt go? And I think this same thing rings true with our relationship with God. We grow up if, as, you know, maybe we grew up in the church or we came to Christ later. Maybe we're still seeking, but we have an idea of what God is like. And that gives us then sort of a set of expectations of what we think God is going to do or how we think God is going to behave or how we think our world is going to be constructed because we have this understanding of God. And we talk about this many, many times here at Christ Community Church because it's so true and it's that, that while we may love Jesus, we may follow him with all of our heart, it, we, we're trying to do the thing where he says, you know, if, if you abide with me, right, I will abide with you. And we're trying to live by those, those words and trying to live that life, and yet we still find ourselves in circumstances sometimes that to us don't make any sense or that bring us great trouble or that bring us great uh, grief or that bring us great disappointment. And I'd point us back to the story of Job that we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, in fact, we're going to go back to the book of Job this morning because last week we talked about pretty much everything that was at the beginning and how uh, in the story of Job, one thing that we, we kind of fail to think about because we can see the whole story written out there, but there's a, there are two scenes that are happening in the book of Job. There's, there's Job here on the earth and what's happening in his life. And, the, and God says of Job right there in the book, he says... Job is my servant, and he's without blame. So he's a good guy. And so there's Job on the earth, living his life, thinking he's got, an, he's got a picture of God that he's created through his experience and through his study of the Bible at the time, the words that they had, the stories that had been handed down. He has this understanding of God in his existence. But what we can't see is that in the story, it tells us what's happening in the heavens, this uh, kind of debate between Satan 
and God is happening in this heavenly realm. And those of us here on earth, we can't see that. We don't know that. We don't hear the details of that conversation. And so then here's Job down here in his life, and this terrible calamity uh, comes upon Job, and he loses basically everything that he values. And he does what you and I would probably do. He turns around and he shakes his fist at God and says, what's going on here? And I would dare to say that our lives are sometimes very much the same. Listen, we're here in this worldly realm. We live here on this plane. And yes, we're, we're striving to, to walk as people who are living in the kingdom of God. Where, uh, and in the kingdom of God, everything that God wants done is done. That's what it means to be the king, right? Everything that the king wants is done. And so we're trying to live in that kingdom here on earth. But the fact of the matter is, uh, the Bible tells us that there are some things that we cannot know. We're look One of the ways it says is that we're looking through a glass that's, that's really dim. It's not clear. We can't quite see everything that we could see if that glass was crystal clear. And so we have the same thing in our lives, guys. We're down here. We're, we're following God. We're doing the best that we can. Many times we're being good people, right? We're living good lives. We're, doing, we're living lives that God would be pleased with or at least striving to do that. But there is a war going on in the heavens over every single one of us who wants to be a child of God, who wants to live as a child of God, because the enemy wants to tear that down. He wants to destroy that. And so a lot of times we look around and we say, well, why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen? Why is this happening to me? And uh, I have a sermon that I do every two or three years or so where we address those. And uh, sometimes uh, the answer to that is, uh, you're having things, things are happening to you or bad things are happening to you because of the pervasiveness of sin in the world and the effect that it has on all of creation. It's like a, it's like it's um, tarnished, you know. Uh, it's a little, we're a little bit infected. The whole planet is. And so uh, things decline under the weight of that sin. And sometimes that's the reason why. Uh, sometimes you're experiencing things in your life that aren't so pleasant because other people have done terrible things. They made choices that weren't good for you. Sometimes you're experiencing terrible things in your life because you've made bad choices. And you're, you're now reaping the percussions of that, the repercussions of that, right? And then sometimes there are terrible things happening in our lives and in our world because there is a war in the heavenly places between the powers of righteousness, of God, and the enemy who wants to destroy that and who is set against all of those things. That's the story that we see laid out in Job. And so, you know, those first three things where you go, well, um, why is, you know, why is the ocean polluted and terrible and, and coral reefs are dying all around the world? It's the effect of sin. It's the effect of bad management on the part of humanity, and it's the overall arching effect of sin degrading the planet from the, from the day that sin entered into this, into this world. I can't do anything about that except try to do my part, right? Um, Eco-friendly Keurig pods and, you know, reusable bags at the grocery market, whatever you can do, right? You can do your part. Other people have done things that affected you. You can't really do anything about that because you just have to live with those consequences. And yeah, that stinks. And then sometimes, you know, things that you did have brought 
grief into your life, sometimes you just got to deal with that, right? That's, and everybody's in the same boat. So if you, if you have any of those three things, it's kind of unfair to be disappointed with God because those things happened. Because it, here's, here's one simple test. Does God control every single thing that you do? Are you a robot? Are you, a, are you in some sort of artificial life form and you just do whatever the puppet master says for you to do? And the obvious answer is no. Well, nobody else is either. And so we can't blame God because other people do stupid things. We can't blame God because we do stupid things. Um, that's, on, that's on nobody but us. And then as far as the, the degradation of the world, we can do our part. We can try to, to play our, our piece and, and not make the world worse than it is right now. But the fact of the matter is there's a whole planet full of people out there who have free will, just like you and I do, and bad things happen. So those three things, we've got to kind of take those off the table because we understand why those things happen. We also understand why God doesn't necessarily just jump in and make all that better because if he did, the underlying factor would be is that he would have to take away your ability and my ability to make choices. I don't want to be that. I want to have my, my, my freedom, my uh, personal autonomy in that way. And one of the ways the Bible describes that is that you can choose then to be a person who lives righteously instead of unrighteously because you have that free will and that choice. But then there's that last one, the battle in the heavenlies that we can't see, we don't know anything about, and we can't control, really, um, because it's a war in a plane that we don't exist, but it affects our lives. This is the place that Job found himself in, and I think you might be able to identify some times in your life where you've been in that place too, where there's just really no rhyme or reason as to why this has happened. And we, and we have that tendency, we all have that internal uh, thing that, that sometimes then points us towards God to ask that question, what are you doing? What's happening here? Um, and maybe even to get so, so far as Job did to say, you know, who do you think you are? Those are bold words. A guy named Philip, Philip Yancey uh, has written a great book about uh, a doubt. And, and he asks these questions. He said, is, is God unfair? Is he silent? Is he hidden? Uh, if God is so hungry for relationship with us, why does he seem so distant? And he arrives at this conclusion, uh, something that I pointed us to last week, and, and it's something that is a theme that we, we land on a lot here because it's so critical to living a, a joyful, notice not happy, but a joyful life in Christ, is to understand the difference between Having a relationship with God, not because we, we want to, to see what God can give us. And that's what leads to disappointment. See, we, if we see God through a lens of, hey, what can you do for me? Hey, what do you have to offer for me? I'm going to follow you, but what are you going to do for me? If that's the way that we couch our relationship with Christ, then we put ourselves in the position of then, when he doesn't give us what we want or think we need, we land at disappointment. And if that disappointment runs deep enough, we get to a place where we even doubt if God knows what he's doing. Or we doubt if he even exists. 
But the, the, greater, the greater goal, the greater desire is not to, to engage in this relationship with God because I want to see what he can give me, but to engage in this relationship with God because I want to know who he is. I want his presence. I want him to abide with me. That word abide, when we talk about that, uh, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. So we can easily take that into, oh, see, see, if I'm doing everything right, if I ask for anything, God's going to give it to me, right? But what that scripture really says is if we are, so it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that means they're almost indistinguishable. You're so close to one another. You and the presence and, and the word of God, meaning really Jesus, not the Bible, the word of God, if my word abides in you. You're so close together that you understand each other so intimately that every single thing that you end up asking for God to do is something that God really wants to do and loves to do and intended to do all along. And it probably doesn't look like, you know, Cadillacs and Xboxes and... Um, Unlimited food bar, taco bar, that would be fantastic. Um, maybe we could work that out later. Um, I love tacos. Uh, but it's not that. Because at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, however my life is going, if, if everything around me basically burned to the ground, and all I have left is this relationship with God, him abiding with me, me abiding with him. Can I be content with that? And as long as we're in the mode of, of approaching God in a manner that says, what are you going to give me? The answer to that question is no, I will not be content with that. But if instead we change our thinking, if we repent of our thinking and we say instead, what I want more than anything is the presence of God with me, then it doesn't matter what the rest of those circumstances are. Because we're not out to get something. We're out to be with him and him to be with us. Um... There, there were some times as I was growing up, we'd have these different evangelists come to our church, and I, I couldn't find the passage of scripture that he had referenced, uh, one of these guys, at one time, but I, I remember it clearly because it was pretty controversial among the church and other people, and it should have been because he was, um, what he was preaching was wrong. Uh, but he had used this passage of scripture to basically, uh, to shame people, to guilt people by, by saying to them that if you ever doubt God, it's probably because you're not saved. There's a lot of bad theology out there that you can get access to at any time that you want. Um, this is why it's critical for you and I to read our Bibles. I, I, you know, I don't want to tell you something that's incorrect, but you should be able to find out on your own that whether I'm, I'm feeding you something that's nonsense or not. And it, it, was, quite, um, it was quite hurtful to a lot of people um, he was a very dynamic speaker, very gifted speaker, uh, engaging, funny, 
uh, told great stories and, and, and likable uh, as a platform kind of personality. And so when you have that position and you say things like that, it, you have to really be careful. There's, you know, the Bible says that those who teach need to really be cautious because God's looking at them with a very critical eye. And, and we have a responsibility to tell you truth and not to try and color it with um, imperfections or to, to manipulate you or whatever. And so we try never to do that here. We're, we're not into manipulation. But even just our own common experience would dispel that idea that somehow we, when we become a believer, so if you, if you believe that idea, if you believe this idea that if you're, if you're really a believer, uh, you'll, you'll never doubt, um, then that means that somehow, whatever the time was that you and I decided to follow Christ, that there was this instantaneous absolutely pervasive, complete transformation of mind, soul, uh, thinking and everything, uh, post-traumatic uh, stress issues, uh, trauma-induced issues from when we were younger, um, patterns of thinking that we've developed over what? You know, if you were 10 years old, 15, 20, 50 years old, all these patterns that they were just bang, like that, and everything's perfect, and you are now in tune with God. Did anyone experience that? Because... It's not real, right? It's a journey. It's a creating. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. But listen, when you were born, you were a new creation. Uh, did you know everything you know now when you were born? Could you do everything that you could do now when you were born? No. The Bible speaks to us about being babes in Christ and maturing into believers in Christ. And so if you've wrestled with that idea about Sometimes I've doubted God, I've doubted what he's doing, I've doubted what he's thinking, I've, I've doubted if he even exists. Yes, really, believers, sometimes long-time believers, sometimes get to a place where they go, are you there? I want you to know you're in good company. And that it's okay to sometimes not be okay. So let's go back to the story of Job. Let me, let me give you just this little nutshell. There's this battle in the heavenlies, right? Remember, between Satan and God. God says, that's my guy Job. He's blameless. I love that guy. He'll never turn against me. Satan says, well, let's just see about that. Satan takes everything he has, leaves Job untouched. God says, see, I told you. Satan says, yeah, that was fine. But, you know, if I mess with him personally, like if I can get to him, I promise you he'll curse you. God says, I don't believe it. So Satan goes to work. Remember, we talked about the boils and all that stuff. And then Job kind of lets loose. For tens of chapters of, of verses in the Bible, Job is angry with God. Job is upset. Job is disappointed. And Job is doubting not only that God is who he says he is, but he is doubting that God even exists. It's all in there. He's, are, you, are you sure you're there? How could, how could this happen? He, he, goes, he describes his own life and how great Job is, and he was. God said he was blameless. He's not, Job's not being prideful. He's, he's, he's weeping. He's distressed. He says, look, I, I, I thought I was getting it all right. How does this happen? Just like sometimes we do. And in the midst of all that, uh, 
uh, actually kind of at the, at the beginning of Job's lament. Here's what he says. It's um, Job chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept and then I would have been at rest. He's like saying, if I just died, I wouldn't have had to endure any of this. And then he just, he just goes to town on God from there. I'm so bad at you, God. Why did this happen? And in the midst of that, some of Job's good friends come to try and help him out. One of them is named uh, Eliphaz, and uh, this is what happens with him. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the, hand, the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. So he's complimenting Job, right? He's saying, look. Dude, you, you, have, you have lived this great life. You've done these great things. Um, what are you talking about? Um, he says, but now it has come to you, meaning calamity has come. Tragedy has come. Loss has come. Now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your, of your ways your hope? Remember... Who that was innocent, remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the, where, <laughs> I cannot read today. Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. And right here we get to the, to the heart of what Eliphaz is saying to Job. He's saying, look, you've done all these great things. You encourage the weak. You lift it up. Uh, people, you, you showed them how to use their hands. You've showed them how to do great things. You've been a, a model citizen, an example. He says, however, have you noticed that those who are innocent don't get punished? Hmm. Um, have you noticed that those who are, who are righteous are, when he says cut off, what he really means here is, have you noticed that those who are righteous are still wealthy? And he says, I have to say, Job, starting to wonder about you. Because you know, if you plant seeds of sin, you're going to reap some trouble. And Eliphaz begins to look at Job and say, you know what, I think you might be the problem. You must have done something. You ever had that from people? I mean, look, you know, you know the times that you have done something and you, and you were reaping, right? You were harvesting what you put out there. But sometimes you know... You're just, you're like Job going, what's going on? And then sometimes people around you will look at you and say, well, it must be something you did. And he's got another friend named Bildad. He says, uh, does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert what is right? So Bildad is going, look, is isn't God good? If this is happening to you, then, then God must totally know. There's a reason why this is happening to you, and God totally gets it, and, and you should just totally trust him because he knows what's right. His other friend, Zophar, comes along, and he says, um, 
Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. So far comes along and says, look, this may be bad, but it ain't what you deserve. You're lucky God's not just rubbing you out. Nice friends, huh? And all through the things that they say, if you go, if you go and read the book of Job, they're talking about how great God is. They're saying, look, God, you, Job, you must be wrong. You can't speak to God like that. You can't call God out like that. You can't uh, give accusations to God like that because God is God, and, and you shouldn't do that, and we're standing up for God, and we're telling you what's right, and you should listen to us, and you should repent, and all of these things. And every time Job replies, and he keeps just kind of, Bleh. I'm unhappy. I'm wounded. I'm crushed. Job gets to this point where he finally basically says, look, the Lord has done this to me. Then he says to his friends, you guys are miserable counsel. You guys are lame. You guys stink. You're not helping me at all. And so we have these two scenarios that play out here. All this stuff happens to Job, and Job looks at God, and listen, don't, don't mistake. Job is angry. Job is sad. Job is disappointed. Job is looking at God, the God that he thought he knew. He, remember, Job had a, a, a beautiful family, a giant house, a big farmland, and all the, the livestock and food and all this stuff that he could. He had everything, and he thought God gave that to me. See, now we're back to that beginning thought of if we approach God from the idea of what can you give me as opposed to approaching God with the idea of can you be with me, then when things go wrong, we turn and we point our finger at God and we say, you did this. And that's what Job does. He says, after all of his friends speak, he says, God did this. And his final question. His final little segment there in the book of Job is where he finally asks the question, he says, where is God? Now notice, before that it was all about God took this, God ruined this, God made me feel this way, God gave me this disease, all this stuff about external things, but when Job finally gets to the place where he asks the question that gets to the root of what we should desire from God, he says, where is God? God's finally like, oh, now I can talk. Okay, you had to get through all that other garbage, but now I can talk because this is really what I want to talk to you about, Job. This is really what I want to talk to you about people here today is stop looking at me as someone who can just give you stuff and desire to have me with you. I said this last week, God does not promise us that if we live a life in Christ that everything will be great, that everything will be happy, that everything will be perfect, that we'll get everything we want. What he promises us is if we will chase after the, the life with Christ, he says that he will be with us. And in so doing, if the world around us burns down, but he is with me, what else do I need?
this is the place Job arrives at. God says lots of things to him, um, puts him in his place, really. He says, basically, to Job, who do you think you are? Did you carve the mountains with your hands? Did you, did you fling the stars into space? Did you paint the rainbow across the sky? Any of that? Did you do any of that stuff? Where were you when all this stuff happened? And he's not, he's not trying to smack Job. He's trying, to, he's trying to lead him to the answer to that question when Job says, where are you? God says, I've always been here. I have been here all the time. And your life circumstances are not... Uh, they're not completely integrated into where my presence is. There are things happening in your life that you will never understand. But in spite of that, I will be with you. So after all that happens, Job says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. Notice that Job, after God speaks to him, tells him all these things, reveals himself more fully to him than Job has ever understood. Job comes to this place where he says, okay, I, I, I didn't get it. There are lots of things I don't understand. But you have revealed yourself to me to be a God who, if I will call out to you, if I question you, you will make things known to me. Maybe some of us grew up kind of like I did too with this idea that you can't question God. Don't test God. You ever hear that? You know that's not in the Bible? <laughs> in fact, in the, there's a place where it says, what, is, what does God say? Test me. Try me. See if I'm good. Because God's not worried. He's got this. He's bigger than that. Don't question God. If God is the fount of all wisdom, if he's the founder of all wisdom, who else are you supposed to ask? And Job comes to this place, and there, are still, there may be people here today, I guarantee you can go out and find people who disagree with me about this whole questioning God and saying, what are you doing? How's this going? Well, let me put that to bed for you right now. Because here we find Job 42, verse 7. After Job and God have now had this interchange, and Job goes, okay, I get it, I get it. You're God, there are things I don't understand, but if I come to you and I question you, you will make things known to me. You may not get every detail, but he will help you to understand the circumstance you're in and where his place is in it. And then God says this, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my anger burns against you and your two friends. Now remember, these are the guys that were sticking up for God. These are the guys who were saying to Job, you must have messed this up because God, I mean, he's God. I am angry against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant 
Job has. What a weird book, man. I mean, if you and I wrote the ending to this, after Job, you know, vomited out everything he wanted to say to God, we would have went... But that's why we're not God. And that's why God looks at this and says to, to Job, he says, look, I understand your struggle. I understand your questions. I understand your doubt. I understand your disappointment. Bring it to me. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you where I am. Give me the opportunity to be with you. And if you'll do that, even if you're surrounded by people who are banging drums and clanging cymbals and blowing trumpets saying, God's great, God's awesome, God's cool. He says, I'm not paying attention to those guys because I don't need that stuff. I'm paying attention to you. And if you, if you'll throw me some questions, if you'll throw me some anxiety, if you'll throw me some depression and let me work with you and help you and speak to you and be in your life, he says, you, then you, ah, you're the one I want to hang out with. So you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, am I holding things back from God? Am I letting him be in the midst of everything? Am I blaming him for things, but not really giving him a chance to explain to me what's going on? And I, when I say explain to me what's going on, it may not be, here's why this happened. The answer may be, I am God. You are not. And can I be content with that? Would you stand for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, whatever the struggle of our lives, whatever tragedies we faced, and Lord, there are many who have faced so much. Lord, wherever we have discouragement, wherever we are disappointed with what we thought was going to happen, with what we thought we were going to get, Lord, in any place, in any corner where we're holding on to doubt and saying, I don't know if God's really got this under control. I don't know if God really understands this. I don't know if God really sees me. Lord, don't let us live in those places. Don't let us be shameful of those places. Instead, Lord, help us to turn our hearts outward to you. Every spot every square inch, every last little corner and say, show me, show me. Let us invite your presence into every aspect of our lives and allow you, Lord, not to, to give to us whatever, but Lord, let us allow you to be with us. May your presence be that which we desire more than anything 
more than breath, more than life, more than food, more than love, your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.